What's the matter, Clementine? Is there something you want to tell me? You can talk to me, Clem. There's almost nothing you could tell me that would surprise me. I can promise you that. Oh, do it. You struggle against prophecy. Prophecy. Like a stone loosed from a slate. How thrilling to launch. How breathtaking the apex. And how terrifying the descent as gravity drags you down into the inevitable. See, I've always believed if you can't beat them, join them. And then beat them. So, I stowed away back on Nar Shaddaa. Funny thing about Wookiees, they got great big lungs. It only takes a couple of breaths of happy gas to knock one out. Ignore the droids. Nutella says you're persistent, but I don't know what you think you'll find here. You're playing games. I like that. There's a lot of serious races in town right now. But this is Detroit. Uh, hello and welcome to Hello Gummer the Podcast. I'm your host, Abdullah, and with me today is Keith VH. <laughs> What's up, Abdullah? Thanks for having me, man. Uh, you notice I did not say your last name because I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Yeah, no, it's all right. That's all right. It's Vandenhuvel. It sort of rhymes with snow removal. Kiff Vandenhuvel. But uh, I go by Kiff VH for everything. Just It's a lot easier to have to try to spell. And even people who know me and work with me still misspell my last name. So you just, you know, you just roll with it. I don't have a have an attitude about it. You just you know, take the hit, you know. No, because it's um, – I kind of wonder, like, how many times, like, you walk in on set or, or whatever and, and they ask you for your name and, and, and you say you say it and then they're like, how do you spell that? <laughs> yeah. Usually I just go by Kiff. It's oddly – it's odd enough that they're like, oh, oh okay, cool. And it's, uh, it's a nice sort of short, um, you know, fun way for them to uh, – to, uh, to, it's, it's a great icebreaker, you know? both with makeup and with engineers and all that stuff uh it's great oh you must have gotten your name misspelled a lot of times like when they send you mail or something and it's misspelled or something yeah i mean the way i grew up vanden and huvel were separate words and when i was in chicago uh my talent agency whenever i had a check they would always like file it under the wrong last name, my uh, my theatrical talent. So I would go in, like I have a check for Vanden Heuvel, and they'd be like, "Is that a middle name?" Or you know, so then you just you know, what do you do? So, uh, but it's you, all good. You just you just go, okay, I'm just John Smith now. I'm just John Smith. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, because um, I've been listening to your podcast, and it's um. It's really good, man. It's it's like what the what I what I imagine this show to be if it was done by someone competent. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sell yourself short. You've done a ton of episodes. You've gotten some fantastic guests. We've had we've had several uh, common guests, right? Like Sissy Jones, and I mean, so many wonderful people. So uh, you know, it's, um, it's it's all good, man. You, you do you. Every show has its own unique personality, which is awesome. No, I mean, because I love it, and I mean, like, it, I mean, because I said this before, like, I think I I love listening to type, you know, interview shows, but, but you know, to me, like, the best shows are the ones that feel like conversations and not, you know, hey, here's a question, answer, question, question, answer, question, yeah. answer. I just, I just hate that. I, like, the moment I hear, like, it's a question and answer type scenario, I just turn off, I just turn it off because I'm like, I'm not going to understand, I mean, I'm not getting... Uh, that person's entire perspective if it's just right. question and answer right 
And I, you know, part of it for me with the podcast was, you know, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but you know, uh, right before Fallout Four came out, um, I mean, I've been pals with Brian T. Delaney for, I mean, I want to say eight years because we're at the same talent agency at CESD and, and, and he's like just really comfortable, fun dude. We're the same age. He was in one of my improv classes. Like we just, we just got on like a house on fire and we're like, you know, it would be fun. Cause whenever we're sitting in the lobby, we're just talking, you know, everything, but this work. So, um, you know, what would happen if we went and got a studio and sat down and started talking? And originally I was like, what if it's the two of us doing the show? And he was like, look, man, this was your idea. I don't want to I don't want to insert myself into it. Why don't we just do an episode, see how it feels? And I was like, OK, I, I can get behind that. Plus, it's just one less person to schedule. Um, but we I always kept the door open to bring Brian back on for for whatever reason. And because he's such a hilarious and insightful guy. So um, we did the episode. We originally went to a restaurant, sat outside with a Tascam 4 track, talking into the built-in mics, and we talked for like two hours, and it was just traffic. That's all you heard was just traffic and us laughing. So I, I ended up, let's, let's do this thing right. Um, and uh, I started you know, spending $100 an episode. Um, I started booking some things and was like, you know what, I want to give back. And uh, I felt like this was a, a reasonable way of doing it. And um and that's how all over voiceover uh, kind of came to be. And I'm, you know, what, 74 episodes in now. And, um, you know, uh, I have a I'm recording a new one next week. Um, I'm really excited about my guest. Um, it's, uh, it's a woman who works for artists for, with autism, I think is the name of the organization. Hang on, I can tell you what it is. Uh, but it'll be dated. But, but just to, to be, it'll be fascinating to have a conversation about, about, you know, about, um, doing be participating in the voiceover community and in the and in the arts um you know uh and this this company helps do job placement and job coaching really really great stuff so um i, I think that that'll be a a cool thing to be able to share with folks who uh, who are interested in learning more about that no i mean and it's great because you know you know we've been i've been under like lockdown quarantine for a couple months now and i'm just looking for stuff to listen to and and you have a a great backlog of stuff i can just listen to oh great in the background <laughs> perfect what episodes have you heard what do you does anything jump out at you um i heard the um i mean way back when you know sissy when i got sissy on i was like re-listening to old stuff that she was on because i don't want to i hate repeating questions so yeah, I totally. just like re find like every CC Jones podcast interview ever and just <laughs> listen to every question. And, and, and I, I just love the episode you did with her. Cause you, you got the, what was that other guy's name who was in Firewatch? Oh, Rich Summer. Yeah. 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 Rich. Was, yeah. They were great. It was so fun and cool. And you know, neither one of them had, had uh, met in person uh, which was really amazing. So um, it, it was super cool to be able to do that. And 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 Rich had gone on to do Mad Men, and uh, and I had taught him in an improv workshop in Cleveland like years before when he was still an undergrad or in graduate school, which was just super cool. So um, you know, it was it was a really neat day. And I've, I've known Sissy for quite a while. It was just great to be able to sit down and connect with her. And you know, you know, I mean, you picking out that it's a conversation type of thing. You know, I'm really grateful to, you know, for you to reflect that back and say how much you enjoyed that because, you know, it's 
certainly by design. And, you know, it, it, it feels a little bit more like you're jumping out of a plane without a parachute. I, I feel pretty unprepared when I go in. Um, but I, I'm so satisfied with the, with the results because it's not just a litany of, you know, what did it feel like to play this character? What did it feel like to play Delilah? You know, that kind of stuff. Like, you know, uh, it's, it's more satisfying to find out how you get to a place and, and you know, you're artists, you're going to talk about, you're going to talk about what you love and we're all, everyone is passionate about what they do. And, um, you know, you can't not have that conversation when you're talking. So, um, but yeah, anyway. Yeah. I mean, and I like it too, cause I can tell you're passionate about it and not faking it. Like you're not putting on an act or where, you're like, so tell me about so-and-so and how was that challenging or whatever. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, I mean, I believe it's, I believe it's really important to be, oh man, if you're, if you're enthusiastic about something and passionate about it, you want to share it. And, and, uh, and VO has been a thing that I've, um, I've, I've always been passionate about ever since I was a little kid, like just playing with my voice and, and to finally meet people who are interested in and want to talk about it. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't care what you do or where you're from. Like, I, I think that if you're, if you're excited about doing this kind of work, um, you know, do it. Why not? Like life is short and it's, and, and if it's, if it's something that lights your fire or you don't know if it'll light your fire or not, like I took horseback riding lessons last year just because I wanted to learn how to ride a horse and I fell in love with it. And I wouldn't have known if I hadn't said yes to that idea. And, and I think that, you know, voiceover is very much that way. I think sometimes, not to throw shade on anybody, but if someone comes to it, it's like, this sounds like a great way to make some money. I'm like, yeah, it, it can be. But, um, but I do feel like if you try to pursue it as a, as a financial thing, uh, it, it might not pay off the way you hope it will as quick as you will and for the length of time that you want it to. You know what I mean? Like – like it, there, there is something about it. that's like, ah, what do I know? I mean, I, I've, I've been pleasantly surprised by the amount of money you can make doing VO. So, so you never know, man. Uh, what, whatever motivates you is, is fine. If it, if it brings you to the microphone, you know? Yeah. I mean, and I mean, you know, it's interesting you bring that up. Cause I, I talked about this before where I would see so many young people who are like, I want to get into VO cause I want to make money. And I'm like, don't, don't do that. Please I, don't. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's just, and you can, you absolutely can, but it's, it's not a get rich quick scheme. You know, even, even people talk about, oh, I want to, you know, I want to get started. And I say this all the time in the classes that I teach, like a great mic doesn't fix a bad read. You know, you can, you can, you can spray stuff down with the money hose and go out and buy a, you know, a U87 and a, and an Alienware computer and the, the, the best the best software and get pro tools and logic and have the whole thing and the best headphones and an amazing board and a spectacular studio and drop, you know, 40 grand on the latest and greatest and then go in the booth and still read like you have no idea what you're doing. It's going to sound beautiful, but it'll also sound like you have no idea what, what, what the craft is. And, um, and it is about, you know, being, being naked on the microphone, you know, not literally, but, uh, but sometimes, but, but even more so like emotionally naked, you know, and, and that's, that takes work and that takes risk. And, um, and that's a, that's a big part of what I think, uh, our, our responsibility is as performers. 
Yeah, because it's it's acting. You're not just putting on a silly voice, and I think that needs to that misconception just really annoys me because, you know, a lot of people are like, hey, you know, VO, it's easy. You just go in, do a silly voice for x amount of hours, and then you leave. And it's like, no, yeah. there's more to it than that. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and for those folks, I say, man, go for it. Go do that. Go put on a voice and 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 see and your your best way through it is to is to try and see if you know like oh man i did a hundred auditions on voices one two three and i i got nowhere and you're like okay well let's take a listen to some of those auditions and then you go well here's why is because you know they're asking for comfortable relatable you know like and and it's 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 extremely competitive but, you know, the thing that I that I often tell my students or people that, you know, that that ask and and care to listen is like, look, if, if you if you want to make a dent, you got to do you've got to do the hard work. And a lot of people aren't doing the hard work. A lot of people set up the microphone and go in their basement and talk into it and, and send in, you know, work that isn't necessarily getting them there. And and or people who stay in too long, people who lose their fire, Um you know, I mean, there's 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 lots of, of pitfalls. I think attitude is a huge, uh, a, a huge pitfall for folks where it's just like, oh, I'm not I'm not booking anything. I'm not making any headway. I'm wasting my time. I bought all this gear and now I don't even want to do it, you know. And, and yeah, my, my director back at Disneyland would always say, like, if you're not having fun, quit. If it's not fun, don't do it. Like you don't owe anybody anything like if it doesn't set your your heart on fire because it is a like it's like you do have to keep keep on slugging to make a dent and like and if you don't love swinging the axe you know you there's there's lots of other ways to explore other skill sets and if it's about funny voices there's so many ways to do it i mean i started i started an on hold messaging in toledo ohio doing impressions for for companies that wanted to have silly impressions on their voice on their on their answering machine services, you know, but like I, I, I think that like you, you know, you it's what is it? James Hillman's book, The Soul's Cold. Like you can't help doing whatever you do, wherever you find yourself doing it. Like if, you, if you're an artist and you draw, it doesn't matter, you know, where you are in the world. If you have a pencil and paper, you will do it. Whether you gain notoriety and fame and fortune, who knows? But like you'll find a way to express yourself, even if you never share it, even if it's just personal. And, um, you know, I think that's an important thing for artists to hold on to is like, you know, what are you doing to satisfy your your need to express? And um, and uh, and and how do you continue to to push yourself forward? And uh, when it's hard, because it gets hard. And, and that's, that's, I think that's what separates when it's easy and good. It's the best, but it's not always easy and good more often than not. It, it's, it's a real grind and you got to figure out how you're going to get through this lotto commercial and send it in with the hopes of booking it. And if you book it, you'll make $200 and not the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the five figure campaign that you were hoping for, you know? So, but you know, I think that's where attitude is a, is a big uh, attitude is a choice. And that's something that, you know, I, I've always been kind of a boy scout. And as much as I want to, as much as I want to be Batman, I'm way more Superman than I'm Batman. And, um, <laughs> coming to that awareness of myself has helped me kind of move forward with my career in that way of like, you know, 
when it's tough and when I'm broke and when I'm not booking, um, staying positive is, is really the only way through it, you know, and then, and, and practice, practice your craft. Yeah, I mean, especially nowadays where, you know, quarantine and, and whatnot, and, and a lot of people are finding themselves out of work and it's just, yeah. It's tough. It's tough, like waking up in the morning and, and thinking to yourself, oh, man, like what's going to happen now? <laughs> what yeah. have we got our, gotten ourselves into now? Because it's it's hard, man. It really is. Yeah. And 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 and, um, you know, when it comes to to voiceover, I think to me, like the best actors are actors like, yeah. you know, anyone can put on a silly voice, but, you know, can you get into that booth and create a character that has never existed before or give your own take on a character that has existed before and make it your own? That's the question yeah. you should be asking yourself, not if I can put on a silly voice or if I go in there and just give them what they what I think they want in, in this audition. And if you can put on a silly voice, what can you do with it? It's not enough to just go, like... I can do that same noise, but if I infuse it with emotion and life, well, then it might be a really fascinating character. But it's it's you know it's it's understanding the difference between I'm talking versus I'm performing versus I'm connecting, you know, versus you know art. You know, I'm, right now I'm what I'm like three inches away from the tip of my microphone, and I'm on a four sixteen. I have to be this comfortable to be this vulnerable to be this close to this thing, and let the truth of myself come out you know, open for judgment. And, you know, that's, that's an audition, man. 5,000 people going out for a spot for some lotto, you know, to run in, you know, in Colorado and, and get intimate and get personal. And, um, you know, I don't know, like the idea of voiceover being easy. I don't know where that idea came from. I think it's because it's like, you're talking, but it's not manual labor, but then you're like, yeah, but so is being a lawyer. There's no manual labor and being a lawyer to think the law is easy. Like you've got to understand all those things. Doctors, that's not an easy profession. And I'm not trying to elevate voice actors to that particular craft, but it, it is that, you know, it's a, it's a skill that you nurture and develop. And it's not only what you do with your voice and your heart and your brain, but it's also what you do with your ears and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking singing lessons right now. I've been doing this for 25 years. I'm still like actively working on building my skill set and my repertoire to remain competitive because I'm in one of the most competitive markets in the world. And every day, even in COVID, people are coming out here trying to be the next latest, greatest thing. And I want to stay where I'm at. I want to stay represented. I want to continue to give my agents you know, arrows for their quiver to send out so that I can help them keep the lights on as much as I need to keep my own lights on, you know? Um, so like there's, there's pressure, but you know, um, uh, you rise to it, you know, there's, there's just a lot of stuff that you, that you have to kind of sort through and work through. And, and it's a lot easier with the positive attitude about it. Of like, yeah, I can totally do this. I've been preparing my whole life for it. So let's, let's keep going, you know? Yeah, I mean, it it helps, like you know, to not to not focus on the negative and just focus on the positive and just like move forward. Like I I say this a lot, but you know, you got to keep moving forward, otherwise you're not going to go anywhere. That's right. Well, what's what's your journey with it? Like, how did you come? Are you, like, how did you come to VO? Um, you know, this this it's it's interesting because with me, it's like um, I remember like as a kid, like watching a lot of you know television and and you know during during like the gulf war like after the gulf war and we had this whole oh america's so great america's so great and and 
and we just imported all these all these American shows raw, like not not dubbed. And that was my first exposure to the English language, and that's how I learned English, and that's how I picked up this American accent. My, no my kidding. <laughs> From watching cartoons and our shows, that's insane. that's so wild. But but then again, it's like. You know, you got to realize that, you know, American English is pretty easy. Like, American English isn't a complex language to learn. And, and it wasn't until years later that I realized, oh, dialects are a thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do you do you do uh, do you do other American dialects as well? Have you like picked up like New York and the Southern accent? No, it's accent. it's hard, man. I mean, Southern is like you know cartoony Southern for me. Like when I do like a Southern accent, it's very yeah. it's very yeah. cartoony and it's terrible. <laughs> and and I am so sorry to anyone I offended by. It. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. It'll be all right. It's funny. I mean, there's like there are so many different southern dialects and so many eastern dialects and so many midwestern dialects, and they're so specific. And like even now, like like a Chicago dialect. I lived in Chicago for five years. I still pick it up, but I speak like Dan Aykroyd, Chicago, which is Blues Brothers inspired, and he's you know he's from Canada. So so a lot of my Chicago dialect is actually very uh, Canadian. So. Uh, you know, uh, but, you know, it booked, it's still booked uh, commercials uh, as a Chicago voice. So, you know, you, you just, you know, just keep swinging. It's worth, uh, it's, it's worth working on the skill set. Well, I mean, and, and if they want like a, a Dan Aykroyd sounding, uh, you know, accent, yeah. then you can just go in with that. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. And uh, that's, I mean, I, I that's a, a big part of what I do is, is celebrity voice match, which is, uh, I, I don't know. It was never a thing in Chicago. I don't know how much of it is it is in New York, but out here, because of movie trailers and and dubbing and stuff like that, there's there's a fair amount of that. So that's something that that I get to do a lot of uh, impressions of you know beyond impressions, like literally trying to match their performance. Um, you know, I've done Tom Hanks and um, Bill Murray and Harrison Ford and Robert Downey Jr. on a couple occasions and Vince Vaughn on several occasions. So like it's it's part of part of the landscape that makes up my work. And, you know, what really drew me to this particular market is because of the work that exists within the film and television industry that that is not in some of the other markets, even though there's some and there's might be some dubbing and some looping here and there and like in Atlanta and Portland and even in Chicago. Um, you know, there's the, the lion's share of that work is out here and it's convenient to be able to, you know, drive over to Warner Brothers and go onto the stage and work for two hours and, you know, do exertions for somebody and then go home uh, versus a nationwide search, you know, or an international search. Yeah. And there's a difference between like voice matching someone because like when you're voice matching someone, you're doing your voice matching. You're not doing an impression. You are literally voice matching you're yeah. not you're not going in there doing an impression, whereas it, right. whereas an impression is just an impression. Yeah, exactly. Like like my impression of Vince Vaughn is like right here, right? So like Vince Vaughn is talking up here, he's talking fast and doing this kind of a thing. But like in a movie, he's probably not playing this type of a character. Like in the movie Delivery Man, uh, there was there was a little bit of that, but then you know he'd still get quiet and he'd still you know talk from his heart and I love you and that, that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like dialing in and trying to find the truth of him. But I start from my impression and work slide downhill into it. You know what I mean? And like slide into proximity, how how fast he's talking, what is 
what's happening in the scene, what's the moment before, like all those things that inform how to take that impression and then put it inside of a tiny ice cube tray that is that moment in the film that they're trying to match. And even if they use like a consonant, they might not even use the whole word. They might use sounds from it to be able to create other things. Like, I don't know, you know, when you're, when you're doing an audition and you screw up and then you go back and you edit, you know, that breath before, but then take, you know, or sometimes I've cut in the middle of an S and it works. You know what I mean? So like sometimes that can give the editors the option and the flexibility they need to buy the time for the cut or, you know, any of those things. It's, it's fascinating, man, how all that stuff works. And it's, uh, it's just so cool to be able to be a part of that, of that scene alongside of, you know, you know, doing video game work and animation and, and, uh, commercials and all that stuff. I mean, it's super fun. And I mean, going back to, you know, Sissy Jones, like, I mean, I mean, she brought it up like being like a voice match for Charlize Theron and, and like the more the more you listen to her voice and the more you listen to to you know Charlize's voice, it 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 becomes hard to tell the difference between the two because they yeah. they sound so so similar. It's just who is that it's, again? Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it's advantageous. Like you can be flexible, but like this, everybody does. Everyone does a bad Nicholson. Everyone does a bad Sean Connery. But, like, if you tap into and identify who do I naturally sound like already, it's not a massive pivot. Because I'm Midwestern and I resonate in my head voice a little bit, but I've figured out how to resonate in my chest. I can I can get those Midwestern guys, the Vince Vaughns, the Tom Hanks, the, oh, God, who else? Uh, you know, Brad Pitt resonates more in his chest. I've been trying to find Brad Pitt a little bit. And then, you know, like... And that, like, he lives in me where Stallone lives, but Stallone's mouth work is a lot heavier, so there's a little bit more of this, you know what I mean? And since he's gotten older, a little bit more of the, a little slower, a little bit of a lisp. So, like, all these kind of things start to, when you listen to the references, the samples that they send you for the voice match, it's really important to tune into what are, you know, what's the impression, but then, like, what are, what's the truth of this performance? You know, with Harrison for Call of the Wild, you know, it was very different from from any Han Solo stuff because it was so it was internal and he was talking to a dog and very quiet. So like it had a lot no bravado like it was a, a father who's mourning. Um, so like throughout all of those auditions and then all the work, it was really important to maintain that emotional state. Otherwise, it's worthless to the producers. You know. And and I mean, yeah, you're not you're not you're playing, you know, it's Harrison Ford playing a grieving father, not Harrison Ford playing Indiana Jones or, exactly. or Han Solo. Exactly. You know, you can't go in there and be like, we got to get to the Falcon. <laughs> yeah, right. Chewy. And they're like, you know, it's even interesting talking to guys who do like when I was doing some stuff on uh, Vin Diesel's last one well, was Fast 8, I think. Um, and I was matching. um get the actor's name is the guy from game of thrones with the red beard and the red hair i matched him on a couple lines but i was talking to a guy who is like uh who does dwayne johnson but he only does dwayne johnson when he's doing the rock not when he's doing dwayne johnson so when he's bravado when he's yelling and doing all the big stuff but when he's just talking and having a conversation he's like i can't match that i can't get anywhere near that i can only get this particular part of it so it's like, you know, here's like two or three actors working together to support the performance of the character, you know, 
Um, and I always found that really interesting that like what your voice can connect to and what it can't. And, you know, a guy like Eric Bauza, who does, you know, so many different Looney Tunes, you know, characters. And then Bob Bergen does a couple and, you know, Porky Pig and all that. And then Tattashore does Yosemite Sam. And they're all together working. And it used to just be Mel Blanc doing all of them. It's 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 fascinating how our how our physiology of this, you know, aligns to your ear and what your superpower is and all that stuff. It's really uh, it's it's a trip and and um, and it's it's fun. It's really fun to be able to be in the world of exploring and seeing what I can, you know, what you, what you can do with it, you know. Yeah, I mean that's that's the fun of it. It's like you know creativity. Like no name any other, you know, acting profession where they ask you to be creative. Not a lot. <laughs> right. Yeah. Absolutely. Learn this script. Put it up. You're a co-star. You know, our stars are doing the thing. Come in, say your line, get out. <laughs> and there's there's certainly that in voiceover as well. But um, you know, I don't know. It's great. I love it. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, you and and the thing about you know voiceover as well is like you you know you might be brought in to do like a main role, but you'll get to do like a bunch of incendiary characters, which is great because hey, more work. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. And that stuff is fun too. And I mean, you know, those are also these roles that you're like, what? Like I think in Star Wars: The Old Republic, I did the principal character I played was Skavik, who steals you steals your ship. Um, but then I was playing a, I, I ran across like it, something that was like a Wikipedia that listed like four or five characters that I played in the game. And, and you like with, with that game, it's so vast that you have to play all the different tracks. Like I'm, I'm like the big bad on the first part of the, of the scavenger or the, the scoundrel sort of path or the smuggler path. But like, I had no idea. Like, there's another one I found a sample of. It's like, oh shoot, I'm there. I am doing a, a British accent, playing like some merchant. Like, and and you just you don't have any awareness of it or where the character is or where he shows up, and you're like, well, cool. And that character got to tell that part of the story. And then you know, there's you know, you know, it's uh, it's it's fun to to see how how those how you can you know, I don't know, just be in that world, you know. I mean, it's Star Wars. Come on, man. It's like everyone wants to be in Star. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's very true. It's uh, it's pretty great. <laughs> like that's the thing is like every time I talk to someone and and we bring up like Star Wars that they just like light up and and, and are just so excited to talk about it because it's like yeah you know I grew up watching Star Wars and I get to be part of this massive universe in some way. <laughs> I mean that's the dream, right? Like to be able to be a part of it, and and I've been very blessed to have been able to to be a part of it two or three times and and um it's such an incredible it's such an incredible brain trust we just literally watched um the uh we watched the original three over the weekend my wife got like we started watching she just turned on the phantom menace watched that through revenge of the sith in one day and then we watched you know four through six the next day and just to kind of and rogue one in the middle just to kind of watch it sequentially and and it was just so great to revisit that world again and, and to, to follow the, you know, George Lucas's vision throughout all of it was just wild. And man, Rogue One is so good. My God, I forgot how good that picture is. Anyway. <laughs> no, I digress. I mean, 
<laughs> no, I mean, it's 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 interesting because I think I said this before, but like every person I've talked to has been in like the old republic in some some form or, or some in some yeah. fashion. And it just yeah. goes to show you, I think that game has the the, the world record re- world record of of the most uh, most uh the most uh, largest voice cast, I, I would imagine, because there's just so many people in it. <laughs> there's so many people in it, and you know, and so long. I mean, I remember doing the audition for Skavik, and then a year later got the callback. Like it's just, you know, these Bioware games are just so vast. There's so many moving pieces. I was really lucky early on. You know, I started my my career as a multimedia producer, and um, you know, right at the beginning of I mean, we were producing video content on Laserdisc, and then the computer would uh, would operate. The training center would run, like, these little questions in the module, and then it would go to the Laserdisc for video. And then we switched over to MPEG and, while, and started programming in Visual Basic and then learning all these assets and asset management and what that meant. And having that, having that awareness of video pieces and audio pieces and all, kind of all the assets that are necessary to make the content function really helps me as a voice actor to understand what, you know, what I'm really making is, you know, I'm making a bunch of WAV files or little A files or MP3s or some proprietary audio thing that runs internally inside of a game. And it helps you understand, you know, why the scripts are written in Excel and why they're protected so much and why there's so many people involved in the pipeline and, you know, why, you know, you get on a, you do a thing for Warcraft and there's like seven guys in in seven different cities all consulting the, you know, the history of these characters and then what the race, uh, what they've established is the, is the voice for the voice print for the race of these particular, you know, what are the, what are the Nordic, you know, sort of, uh, you know, I don't know that world well enough to be able to speak honestly, but like what, what, you know, what are the, what are the orcs actually sound like and how do we maintain that consistency? consistency through different actors and like it's just it's it's an extraordinary piece of like be creative be fully creative but be fully creative within this particular paradigm of this is the voice print of what this particular race sounds like it's really interesting and um and uh and and great fun and uh vocally stressful (laughs) uh but that's all right well, I mean, if you're playing an orc, they they all have deep voices. I noticed like that's the trend where with the orc males, where it's like yeah, they all gotta have deep, booming voices. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, good, good old Darren DePaul or Fred Tattashore, or Steve Blum, and then you also want the, you also want to give that sense of those teeth, those lower fangs sticking out, you know. Like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, and then that's hard, man. That's really hard. I mean, that that takes takes its toll on your on your throat and your muscles and and everything because you gotta give it your all to maintain yeah. that to maintain that yeah. voice for for hours of dialogue. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it's we you know I've been really blessed to work with to work with a lot of voice directors who have uh, not taken advantage of. Um, of that, you know, certainly we've, we'll, we'll have to do stuff, but I've been really lucky with like, you know, I, I one of my, I, I have several favorite directors, but like one director is really, she's so conservative with your voice. Like she makes sure that you can, that you can see each other through the glass at the studio. And when you're in particular, when you're doing the, the barks or the death screams or, you know, I, I did some work in, um, 
in PlayStation 4 Spider-Man a couple of years back. And, you know, I'm I'm the uh, one of the jump troopers. So like when you're I don't know if you've played Spider-Man, but if you you know, when you're in New York, you encounter a variety of of hard asses. And I'm, I'm one of the hard ass guys on with jetpacks. And during those, you know, fortunately in Spider-Man, you know, no one gets killed. Spider-Man webs you up and then you get busted. So even if you fall off the rooftop, you still get saved. So there's no real death. Uh, you don't, you don't, there's no like eight second burn to death, uh, screams. Um, those are brutal. Um, but, but Chris will direct you through the glass like a conductor and they'll give you a reference of an animatic showing what the move will be. What is a punch? What does it look like? How long is that animation? This voice is, this audio is going to be married to this animation there's no lip flaps. You're not trying to match the face, but you are trying to match the body, the stumble, all those things. So, like, she'll conduct you and be like, if I cut you off, stop. I, don't, I, don't, I want to maximize how you are used and not have any extraneous screaming that doesn't help. And that, like, that kind of care and thought, um, you know, is, it, just, it just reminds you why you, you want to be working with the best in the business because they're not here to ring you out. You know, I've done sessions for video games while being, you know, the brand voice for a television network. And I might have a session the following day and I got to be upbeat and be the brand, you know, and that's really hard with nothing in the tank. So it, it is it is a balance. And sometimes it affects what work you choose to take, um, you know, and sometimes there's flexibility and sometimes there isn't. And, you know, you just you just try to work it out. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it helps like it, it, you know, I think to me, like the best directors are the ones that can get the best performance and, and most out of their out of the actors while also keeping them safe. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I love a good collaborative director that gives you the freedom. I mean, it was what I loved about Bioshock Infinite when I was doing Comstock with Ken Levine. Like, you know, I, ended up going to Boston and going into a whisper room with them. And we did one four hour session. We got all the audio logs and we had done like six sessions prior to that, trying to get the ADR for his death scene. And, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert for a game that came out in 2013. 2013. Yeah. Uh, you never know. People come to it when they come to it. Uh, but anyway, you, you, I'm the big bad. So you'll expect, expect the big bad to, to die anyway. Uh, but we did all the audio logs like in one afternoon and it was, but it took us, you know, six or seven sessions of trying to figure out who this character was, what he sounded like, what he felt like, what was his, you know, what's his emotional state, all that stuff. And, uh, without, you know, necessarily, I, I was surprised by the turn. Uh, and the reveal in that game. And, um, you know, and I played the guy. <laughs> so, like, it was really fantastic to to still be surprised and completely fall and head over heels in love with that game. And when you get to participate in, like, the one of the great, you know, pieces of art of the 21st century, it's, it's, uh, it's humbling, you know? I mean, did you know that he was... Um... He was an alternate booker from an alternate timeline, or was it? Did you just come in and play him like he was a? He, you know, you didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, I, I went in and played him uh, as as he was written, you know, as a zealot, as a as a self proclaimed prophet, and and as a father, and um, you know, someone just posted a thing on YouTube. 
like someone had posted like uh, you know all of Comstock's lines as you'll find on YouTube you know the kind of uh, all the, da- the all the all the asset management <laughs> it gets reverse engineered on YouTube and like they just put everything in in order um but um someone tweeted like just the other day on or commented on the on one of the posts just the other day of like who is this character inspired by and I was like oh wow what a what a thoughtful question and I was like honestly I based him on like my uncle who was a minister and you know when you're playing a villain you know you've heard this before when you when you play a villain you're you're trying to play you're trying to play him as the hero because he's the hero in his own story and um you know I, I found that with with Comstock uh that was very much the case that he you know he believed in in his holy cause that he was ordained to do this and um yeah yeah it was a trip man <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, and it's and it's interesting because you know if you if you know if you've played the game, he's not in it for law for that much, but he just, you know leaves an impression. So there you go. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, a gigantic alabaster, uh, <laughs> massive uh, statue. The first thing you see when you walk in, and yeah, t- his presence is felt. But like it, the fact that we could do all of his audio logs in one day tells you as much how much content we did. There wasn't a ton. Um, but but you absolutely feel the presence of this of this character uh, throughout. Ah, it's super cool. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's always. I mean, you you must get like a lot of people coming up to you saying, "Oh, you know, you were Comstock. How was that?" And and blah blah blah. Because that was. I think yeah, that's that's the biggest one you've been in so far. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's 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 the most I think of of you know. There's certainly titles that have sold bigger or made more money, but. And, you know, but as um, as a cult phenomenon, as with cosplayers, whenever I, you know, as a voice actor, I mean, I do on camera stuff, too. So I get recognized for different things. But for VO, like if I if like at a con, for example, generally, if I see a little sister or Elizabeth I, I, or a booker or once I found a Comstock, I'll go out of my way to like track them down and try to find a way to, to, to say it without like bragging. And, 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 you know, like it was, I remember talking to Brian Delaney about this very thing. Cause he was, you know, he plays the player character in fallout four. So, you know, how do you, how do you elegantly let someone know who's a stranger to you that they're cosplaying part of the universe that you inhabit? And wouldn't you want, if you're cosplaying that, wouldn't you want to know? Because they're not going to know me by face. So, you know, it was it's been super fun to, like, you know, talk to someone who's doing an Elizabeth or, or or a little sister and be like, by the way, thank you for keeping our game alive. You know, I, I got to play Comstock in the game. And usually the, there's a there's a beat and then it's like, say, wait, say that again. Like, yeah, I, I played Comstock in the game. I, I, I played Zach Rattle. and my wife will be there. She'll co-sign for me and then they'll be like. You know, and it's so exciting. It's so fun. It's so fun to be able to to have that and to share that with people and to see their joy for this game. Uh, and um, you know, it's it's freaking awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, and plus you don't, you know, you kind of have to make sure, like, you know, when you tell them that you don't come off as creepy and stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's a delicate balance. I watched Fred Tattashore do it with the Hulk, um, where he would let people know, but the way he did it was really slick. And I think I, and that's really where I took my, took my lead from was like, you know, you, um, you, uh, you share something 
you share a fandom with a person and that that's that's sacred you know and that i participated in it but you know you might have spent more time putting your elizabeth costume together than i spent in the booth voicing this character and and here we are eight years after this game was released seven eight years I'm projecting the next year someone dressing like, you know, but you know what I mean? Like, and this game is, and you cosplaying it is like keeping the game alive. And it's, it's a wonderful gift to those of us who participated in it because, you know, it was, it, it, it meant something at the time and it still does. And it's, it's really, really cool to see. Uh, And you're right. There's a delicate balance of like, how do you, how do you approach people and, you know, learning the, the, the right way of doing it and learning, you know, learning not to hit up the same Elizabeth, at the same con on the same day, you know, that it looks like you're just trolling. Uh, so, you know, you, but you know, you figure it out. Um, it's a, it's such a fun environment, man. I mean, especially it's difficult when, you know, you're just walking around and you're not at a table signing autographs. So and then the people like, don't believe you then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I think sometimes like, you know, it's 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 funny, like because of Richie Rich. And I, I don't know if it's playing in Kuwait at all or not, but I, um, I played. No, it's, uh, not, it's on Netflix here, so but I haven't seen it. So yeah, it's we didn't make it for you. We made it for <laughs> we made it for the six to eight year olds, and they love it, uh, and the parents hate it. Um, but uh, but that's fine. It's it's on there, and that's I get most of my recommend recognizing. Uh, occurring from that with like very little kids and kids at my daughter's school and stuff like that will be like, wait a second. And then you're, you know, you kind of, that's where I'm really cautious because I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm a strange, I'm a, you know, I'm an older man standing here talking to children. You know, a lot of kids will follow me on Instagram and will be like, follow me, follow me. And I, you know, I, I, they're so savvy. And I just say, look, you know, it, it doesn't look good for a grown man to follow kids thank you for being a fan. And, you know, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, but, but I can't follow you. And then the kids go, Oh yeah, I get it. And then <laughs> they stick around and it's, it's great. But, you know, consequently I, you know, I try to curate my, my social media presence to be, you know, more family friendly because of the spaces I occupy. I mean, the, the stuff I, I'm not on adult swim. I'm not on, you know, I did the family guy, but that's not where that's not where home is. You know, I'm known because of Richie Rich, so I'm cautious to maintain a sense of, you know, that respect for who my audience is, you know. And it's such an obscure character as well. I mean, I don't I don't think that it's a, it's a character that would resonate oh. with this with this day and age, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. It was totally made up for our show. Cliff Rich was made up for our show. And um you know, we got plenty of flack from people, but kids had a great time. And who cares? It's Richie Rich. We're not trying to, who are we trying to impress? We're making a kid's show, man. It's to make kids laugh a little bit. Like, to get bent out of shape about it didn't make any sense to me at all. And, um, you know, and yeah. I, I learned a ton, and, and it launched so many careers of, of kids, and, I mean, it's great. No, I mean, I mean that's an interesting point. Where I mean, I said this before. Where you know, when when I whenever I like I talk about you know media that's made for for a younger audience or like a preteen yeah. demographic, I always look at it from that perspective, and that's I great. don't and I don't like judge it from a from a complex art you know insanely you know narr- you know insanely like adult way of of thinking talking about it. 
Like, yeah. especially like, you know, like, okay, let's talk about, you know, shows that, you know, skew, skewer older, but, you know, and tackle dif- difficult themes, but they don't go into it fully. Like, there is right. no, there is no episode of, like, The Owl House where Ida talks about the concept of death with, with, with Luce, yeah. you know? So. Right, right. It's, it's not what the show is about. You know, you're, we're, the, the premise is to, to, to entertain and to be entertaining. And, and who are you serving? You know, there's, there's, that, that was kind of one of the interesting things about watching, you know, Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. And I know that a lot of folks in the fan community are, are angry at those movies and angry at George Lucas for it. But man, it's like, as a parent, go, like, as a parent with, like say a four-year-old go to Disneyland and you can ride like three things and you think it's a place that's for every kid but like you go to Futureland you can't, the kid's too little to go on Star Tours kid's too little to go on Space Mountain you, the kid won't have the patience to sit in uh you know um what uh the the underwater thing the submarine thing finding Nemo even though they want to see the characters and then Autopia they're too small to drive that's every ride in future in, in Tomorrowland you go to Fantasyland, there's King Arthur's Carousel, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. In Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, you go to hell. You literally go to hell. You can ride the teacups if, if they don't get sick. You can ride the storybook boat. Casey Jr. There's like four things over there. Because Snow White's Scary Adventure still traumatized my 13-year-old. Uh, so, like, all of a sudden you realize that this place that's for kids, there's a handful of things they can do. Even though, as a teenager... You can ride everything. You'll never ride the, the, the little, I'm not going to stand in line for a Dumbo thing unless you want to get like an Instagram picture. So like taking that into consideration, man, then let's make the show for that four-year-old kid, for the six-year-old kid and get off the, and get off the backs of the creators. If people want to hate on Jar Jar Binks, like, okay, he's part of the world, you know, accept it. And let's, and let's move on and focus on the Qui-Gon and, you know, and the, the, all that stuff. And I just, I feel like, you know, I, I do feel like, like, like we can get so upset. And what also like I'm in Batman versus Superman, which people lost their minds over. So like I, I've been on the receiving end of a lot of like passive aggressive, low, low key shade on Facebook for, for, uh, for that film and for Zack Snyder's films. And I love that movie, but Hey man, I like, I value programmed on Frank Miller, Batman. I like dark Batman. That's me. So, um, you know, I like that we have so many options, that there's so many Star Wars stories, that there's so many DC and Marvel stories and that there's something for everyone. And if we if we throw shade on stuff that isn't for us, it just feels destructive to the entire community at large. And I don't understand what's to be gained by it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's my it's the reason why I just don't like discussing media in in general like i think it's difficult to discuss media in a in a productive you know grown-up way i'm sorry if that sounds condescending i'm sorry if that sounds i agree with you no i mean i'm sorry i'm sorry if that sounds condescending but it's true i'm sorry but like (laughs) you know it's tough talking about anything without someone coming in and 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 talking about how terrible it is especially like the the thundercats reboot oh my goodness People no. lost their minds when that show was announced, and and the no. people who worked on it, you know, you can tell were fans of the original show and putting in all these references to to the original show, and 
and how much they love it. I mean, it's basically just a retelling of of the original show, but people like lost their minds because you know the art style and the humor and all that stuff, and they just hated it. And and people were just like losing their minds over it. And I'm like, it's a cartoon. It's a yeah. cartoon made for kids. I'm sorry. And the, the other part of it is, it's real easy to tear down. Go make, go make. If you're so if if you're so concerned about preserving the legacy of the original, go make something. Go make it. Go make your fan film. Go tell the, go do Portal. Go do your own version of Thundercats. Go buy some, you know, prosthetic makeup and get some friends and learn sword play and go shoot it. Go. It's never been more accessible and it's never been more supported. And rather than tearing down creators and like. I'm taking a class right now through UCLA Extension, and I recommend that for anybody, anybody who's interested in media production, like just a great class, $750 for a full semester at UCLA on how to produce a television show and how to pitch and write a show Bible and learn the making, like do it, make it. It's real easy to sit back and go, oh, that's garbage. That sucked. Or I hated it. Or it wasn't what I thought it should have been. It should have been this and this and this and this, man. It is what it is. Is it is it for you or no? If it's not for you, then walk away. You know, then don't don't give it your attention. And you know, and again, this is this is. I mean, I will tell you, man, when Batman versus Superman dropped, and like people would post on my on my Facebook page, like, "Hey, man, you were the best part about that movie." And you're like, "Why are you even? Why are you saying that to me?" Like, I've lived under an NDA for two and a half years of being part of this movie. I worked with probably my favorite director on with my one of my favorite cartoon comic book characters, a legacy production that's continued to pay me because of residuals and stuff. And I'm so excited to be a part of it. And then, you know, snarky comments from people I knew from high school. You know, you're like, I, I just want to disengage completely. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, I was talking, as I was talking about early on about, about attitude and how much fun all this stuff is. It, it is. And it's a, and it's a choice. It's a choice to tune out the negative because the negativity is all over the place, but you have to choose to tune it out, you know, and be like, well, you know, you're not going to make everybody happy. Yeah, uh, but yeah, but, but it, yeah, but it's, but it comes, you know, it comes to that point where I just go. Like, when are we going to realize, like, it's just media, you know, that's made to for entertainment. And at the end yeah. of the day, you can you can like it and, and dislike it. But, you know, can we just stop pretending like our opinions are the objective fact, please? <laughs> that's a that's a great point. You know, this movie did not exist for your opinion. You know, all of a sudden we're all because of, you know, things like Rotten Tomatoes and stuff. We're all everyone's a critic. And um and uh, yeah, being on the receiving end of negative criticism is hard. <laughs> it's very hard. I mean, and it's, you... it's and it's so dumb. It's like, what do you get out of that? Oh wow, you hunted down someone who was in the movie just to send them, you know, shit. Wow, yeah, right. That that's an right. amazing, you know, great great uh, great time, great uh, great time you spend it. Uh, you know, great great uh, time well spent. <laughs> I mean, listen, I've certainly got movies. I learned a really valuable lesson with this, actually, because I, I mean, I was super guilty of it. I was super guilty of it. And like I was like I'd go on social media and I would write long notes about everything that was wrong with X and so movie. Like the last one I think I did that for was I don't even want to say because I don't want to throw shade on it again and reflect the shade. But 
I wasn't thinking about how it affected the people who worked on it. And I didn't assume that I knew anybody who did. And um, then when the Batman versus Superman thing went down, like I was so distraught by how people were reacting on my on would come to my feed and talk shit about this film that I would that my wife ended up posting on her feed like, hey, pump the brakes. And then one of my friends who worked for the company that made the other film that I had talked shit about said, you know, well, remember that. Remember how this feels, because when you did that, that's how I felt. And it wasn't motivating her comments at all. It was just a reflection of, yeah, you're, she, I really took that to heart. You're absolutely right. And, and from that place, I've, I've made it a point that if I, if I got nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. And, and I'm not going to set fire to an entire production because I didn't like one aspect of it, you know, like, like when we went to go see uh, Peter Jackson's Fellowship of the Rings, I had never read the book, so I didn't know the story really. And we went to a midnight showing, and I know it was beautiful, but I didn't follow the script at all just because I, I couldn't understand Lothlorien and Isengard and keeping track of all these characters. And until I finally watched it on home video with subtitles and then got it. And, but... Uh, the production design and the performances and the score and the way it's shot. Like, how do you, how do you look at a film like Kong skull Island and look at how Larry Fong shot that movie and set fire to the whole thing. And like how many internal jokes for like John C. Riley and Tim and Eric awesome show. And, uh, and the, and Terry notary's motion capture work is Kong and the, the compositing and the scale. We've never gotten scale like that in a movie with monsters. I mean, it's a blast. And people are like, oh, the script is terrible. Uh, the movie sucks. I'm like, what? How can you set fire to this entire endeavor that so many people have spent time building without appreciating different aspects of the production, you know, and just go, well, because you didn't like what, what the blueprint was, that the whole thing is worthless. Well, it's nonsense, you know? And, and, that's, and, and that's another thing. It's like we've become so used to 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 this idea that if if a movie is is quote unquote good, then you know we gotta praise it twenty four seven. We can't talk about any of the flaws. And if a movie right. is quote unquote bad, we gotta just tear it down constantly and say nothing nice about it. And I just hate that. I really do. It was it was interesting. Like it was something my wife said the other day. Like they went to she when she went to go see Phantom Menace with some friends. When the movie was done, they got in the car to start talking about it, and her friends went after it. And she said, "Oh well, I guess I'm not allowed to like that movie." I thought, "Wow, that's a really powerful idea and a powerful sad statement." And like that, like we we used to have, you know, Siskel and Ebert would have, you know, they'd battle over stuff, but you know, I, I don't, I feel like I feel like you just get you get kicked for liking things that other people have decided they don't like because other people said that they didn't like it. I don't know. I, I mean, like I said, I don't, I don't want to get lost in the woods on this. Certainly no, no. I mean, just this, this is what I love. I love just like having conversation about this stuff. And this has been bothering me for quite a while now. And, and I'm just like, Hey, you know what? Just let's do it. And, and I would be, it would be disingenuous to not mention, you know, Batman versus Superman. Cause I'm pretty sure like a lot of people were, you know, who are listening to this are probably going to be wondering, like, oh, man, 
you know, you got him on and you didn't talk about that movie. Well, shame on you. And I'm like, no, man, it's like, it's... dude, I mean, you gotta, you gotta understand, like, I saw 300 two days after my baby was born. And my wife went through, she had preeclampsia. We went through like this, like I, we, she, like it was a completely unexpected arrival. Her water broke two months early. Like it was a nightmare of a, of a birth and everything. And we were going to go see 300 at Navy Pier while we were in Chicago, like that weekend. And two days after or two days before the movie came out, our baby came. And, um, you know, they put my wife on a drug called magnesium sulfide, which uh, the reason they did that is they said to her, um, so that when you have your stroke, it won't be as bad because then all your muscles will be soft. And what happened was her eyes uncrossed. So like her right eye drifted to like look at a 45 degree angle from straight ahead. And then she couldn't read and couldn't see and was in the hospital for, you know, a week. The baby was in the hospital for two weeks. So during that time I went to go see 300 and that movie to me was about, you know, about strength and finding the strength inside and finding the warrior inside and figuring out who you are. And Zach had everything to do with that. And he's a filmmaker. It was so stylized. I'd never seen anything like that. It, it was the comic book movie that, exploded in my mind. Speed Racer worked the same way with the Wachowskis. That's another story. But, you know, so 300 became this really like, and then everyone wants to throw shade on 300, but I'm like, you got to understand who I am, who I was at the time when I saw that, what that movie meant to me. Movies are not just a thing to look at. Movies are events, man. My dad took me to see Star Wars for my eighth birthday. He took me out of school to go see it. That's why I'm a, that's why I'm an actor, you know, like, I, these things are deeply personal. And then the, the opportunity to work with the director who made that movie to stand there on a, on a, on a, at a, you know, in a dilapidated house in Detroit at two o'clock in the morning with my, you know, my favorite director and him to look at me and, and Mason and go, okay, guys, let's do this scene. And there's a batarang in the wall. And, 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 and what ideas do you have? And, and he let us improvise. I mean, what an extraordinary experience. And, that, and then you can't say anything about it to anybody, you know, which is fine. I'm fine with keeping all that stuff inside. But, um, you know, the, when everyone tells you growing up that you're never going to get to do that, that you can't do that. And then in defiance of them, all you do. And then, you know, and it's like this, the stars align. And I got to tell Zach that story when I went in and do ADR uh, for Batman versus Superman. So, like, I don't, I don't care if people then argued about whether or not Batman should use a gun. I, who cares? This is the story that was told. This is the Batman we got. This is this is a 9-11 movie, man. It's a, it's a freaking 9-11 movie. It's, it's, it's what Akira is to, you know, to, to Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Like, it's it's our culture working it out. Um, you know, Superman arriving is, is, is devastating. And people being like 18 months and Batman still angry at Superman for destroying Metropolis. Um, yeah. You know, that timeline doesn't bother me. So anyway, again, yeah, I'm getting no, I lost. Mean, I mean, it makes Feels sense because it's like, you know, I just always hated like, you know, previous incarnations of Superman where he just shows up and does all these godly abilities. And everyone's like, hey, here you go, Superman. You're all great. Boo Lex Luthor for thinking I, that he'll ever turn on us and be evil I, and imprison us. It's a really interesting idea. We're playing this morality play out, you know, and. And, and, and he does like Superman spends a lot of time in that movie saving Lois, 
Yeah. And, um, you know, he does a lot of good in there. He does a lot of Man of Steel type of stuff, but he also spends a lot of time saving Lois. And that takes, that's risking. That's risking stuff. And this movie plays out a whole bunch of stuff of like, what are you prepared to do? Are you an earthling? Like, as, as his mother says to him, like, would you, you don't owe these people anything, Clark. You really don't. You could just vanish, disappear, live your life, or go, or leave, or do whatever. You don't owe anyone, but you're making this choice to do that. That's I don't know. I find I find that film profoundly beautiful, very no, I mean, interesting. It's it, it's it's so hilarious because you know I see so many people you know shitting on 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 this on these incarnation and on these incarnations of these characters, but so yeah. many people to this day have spent hours and hours and hours trying to deconstruct the 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 take on on these characters you know Snyder's vision of these characters yeah. more than any other filmmaker absolutely that 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 yeah. has to mean something <laughs> absolutely I mean Fiona Zhang uh, I follow her on both on Twitter and then also on um, on Vero and she's got some spectacular posts about the you know not only the symbolism but like just kind of uh, just some just some spectacular deconstructions of the film and it's there's just there's so much going on and you know I remember when Man of Steel came out everyone had nothing but horrible things to say about Man of Steel and then when Batman versus Superman came out all I heard was you know Man of Steel was great but this Batman movie is going to suck and you're like wait a second you're the same people who said that Man of Steel sucked so like you know we have we have a very very short memory and um you know and again like this is this is so many people working to make these movies work. And when, you know, sometimes bad things stick out, but then but then other things do. Like my buddy Kevin Lease, a friend of mine from college, worked on Suicide Squad and and was working on the props. And, you know, love or hate that movie, like Warner Brothers has an exhibit when you go to the uh, I'm sure it's changed now. Um, but like they had all the props from Suicide Squad, Harley's Harley's outfit and her bat. And like I got choked up when I saw Deadshot's gun because the detail that was there that maybe the maybe the film was going to catch it maybe and they did like six or seven of all the principal weapons different versions like of Harley's bat they made six or seven different prototypes and let Margot Robbie choose the bat that felt most like her version of Harley Quinn and they did the same thing for Will Smith with Deadshot and his gun has engraved like Deadshot has like biblical text engraved in there to like all these kind of details that are there to support the actor and the performance and to support the filmmakers and the story that we're telling. And, um, you know, there's so much going on and to, and to dismiss it outright as uh, C plus. It's like, I don't know. It's, it's no, no, man, we, we really need like three hour, uh, essays on on why this movie is bad and why you should feel bad for liking it. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. But you know, I mean, I, I think it's 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 part of the, it's part of the journey of of being in the business of, of creation, right? Like looking macrocosmically at it, and you know, people don't have to like these things just because it hurts the feelings of the people who made it. And that's not what I'm saying. It you certainly feel it, but at the same time. Um, I think I think there's value in in looking for the things that you like in these in in the things that are out and being glad that they're there 
And I've certainly had movies that I was like, boy, I wish I could get my time back and walk out of what a waste of time. I can't believe that that was made or whatever. But I'm, I'm not going to this. This is a small town. It's a small planet. And you, you find yourself like you, you just never know who you're going to be working with the very next day, who you're going to be auditioning for on different things. And and it's it's better to, in my opinion, when it comes to stuff like this anyway, to have your opinion. That's fine. You don't have to buy the DVD. <laughs> if you don't like it, don't buy the don't buy the 4K UHD. That's fine. Don't rent it again. You saw it. Move on. Um, focus on focus on creating. Focus on making the stuff that you want to see. Yeah. Write the things that you want to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, and yeah, like it's just that's just what bothers me. It's like I see so many people like working on you know deconstructing stuff and complaining about it and quote unquote criticizing it, but. I've yet to see someone like legit post stuff that they're working on that they're bringing to life. I think to me, like the people that I do see bringing their own creations to life are the people we should be paying attention to way more yeah. than the people who are complaining about stuff. <laughs> I agree. I totally agree. What's something you've seen lately that's really inspired you? Um, really inspired me? Like how so? Uh, you know, like you watched it or you read it. Or you listen to it and you're like, this is great. I like this. And you think about it after watching it. You're like, that was great. And then you recommend it to somebody. Um, God, it's been, I like, I watch a lot of stuff. And, and with me, it's like, some t you know, with me, like, unless something makes a big impression on me, it becomes white noise after a while. <laughs> I don't know if that's oh, a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you need to be more selective in your media choices, man. <laughs> No, um... I'll give, give you one. You're a game fan. Have you played What Remains of Edith Finch yet? No, it's a couple I, years old. Oh, man, no. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Dude, that, that, I've, I have no affiliation with the game. It's just a stunning piece of work. It's beautiful. It's fascinating storytelling. Uh, you can play it in one sitting. You can complete the game probably in maybe three hours. But it's just a great, beautiful, moody mystery. Great score, wonderful voice performances. Um, uh, the the every every uh, every level is radically different. Um, you just you never get tired of it. You just you just get caught up. Um, I also recommend uh, Man Eater, uh, which is a recent. Uh, you play a shark and you eat people and and other things, um, and you level up, which is a, a lot of fun. Uh, it's it's a great pick up and put down game. You can play it for fifteen minutes and put it down and. You know, get back to you know while you're waiting for someone to to finish or get out of the oh, shower. Oh, oh, um, you know, you know, video game wise, I think Last of Us Two. I think that's that's oh, yeah. you know, that's the last thing I remember playing that really left a big impression on me and just how, like, man, you know, Neil had a vision, you know, from day one, and you know, yeah. controversy aside, I do have my issues with it, you know, but I had a lot of fun with it. I enjoyed it. That's I, I love, I mean, it feels weird, like, because most of the enemy NPCs are people I've interviewed, and it feels kind of yeah. weird, like, <laughs> listening to them make death sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> hilarious. And it's kind of hilarious, because cause I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm, buddy, I'm buddies with uh, Ben Pronsky, and it feels weird, oh, like, yeah. killing him in that game. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, man. I mean that's great. That's great. I still haven't played it. I need to. I, I well, gotta finish. Shame it. on you then. <laughs> I know. You know what? 
I, 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 uh, I definitely, I need to do better. <laughs> On the film front, I would recommend. Oh God, what did we watch recently? Greener Grass. It is a brilliant, it's on Hulu right now. It's a brilliant, hilarious satire of suburban life. And it is crazy and hilarious. Two women from, who kind of like made their mark at UCB, wrote and directed it. Janelle, Janelle DeBoer. Uh, I won't embarrass myself by not saying their names. Greener Grass. Um, and it's Dot Marie Jones is in it. Beck. Uh, from Saturday Night Live is in it. A couple other folks that you'll recognize. Brilliant American satire of of suburban life. It's really funny and about success. It's fantastic. And um, so that. And Casper, oddly enough, Casper is, uh, my daughter is in love with that movie um, from 1996 with Bill Pullman and Christina Ricci and and uh, Kathy Moriarty and Eric Idle. Um, out on Blu-ray. And uh, streaming on Netflix, and a technical marvel of compositing of computer animation, and and uh, and dark and fun, uh, kind of in that Adams Family Beetlejuice vein. Um, it's not as madcap, but it it's really sweet and a, and a, and, a, and not a bad watch. I mean, the effects haven't aged well, but you know, it's it's you know, <laughs> it's a decent movie. Yeah. When you take when you take into consideration when that thing was made. The, the effects are mind-blowing compared to, I mean, considering that it's ILM and it's, what, like two or three years after Jurassic Park, like, to to take on the ambition of what they're doing. And I don't disagree with you. It still filters, it's still filtered through that that comic sensibility and where, the, you know, the, the CG's a little shiny and, and that kind of stuff and the edges are a little foldy. But, like, it's 1996. I got to cut them some slack, <laughs> you know? You've played reboots of video games. They're like, oh, man. This did not. This did not hold up as well as I thought. This is from 2005. This should. Uh, this should look way better than it does. Oh man, no. I mean, when talking about, I think that the biggest problem for me, like you know, with with you know, video games becoming like more better with each incarnation, it becomes oh, yeah. harder to go back to older games because then you just can't. You kind of just think about the graphics and how. Ah, oh, why didn't it look good like it did now? <laughs> like it does now. Yeah. You- you really got to lean into the stylized stuff when you go back, like uh, like Mickey's Castle, um, you know, Power of Two, the, the epic Mickey game, um, freaking Shadow of the Colossus. I've been playing that again. Those guys. I mean, that that game, they just did a remount or, you know, a, re, a rebuild um, on the PlayStation 4. It's absolutely stunning. But, I mean, um, it's still frustrating when you fall off a bridge and have to swim someplace. <laughs> oh, my God. Like... It's especially hard, like when you know you're doing like you know fight, you're fighting a titan and you're climbing and then you fall down and you're yeah. like, oh god damn it, I gotta do it again. Grip strength, I gotta get all the way back up there and I gotta try, I gotta figure it, and then I'll forget like how to toggle between my my sword and my bow. I'm like, what? This why is this difficult? This shouldn't be, and it's not the const- it's not them, it's me being a lazy gamer. Like they're just asking you to to learn this construct. And, you know, most games I'm accustomed to just pick up and play and I don't have to figure out how do I crouch? You know what I mean? Like, um, but uh, well, I, I do have to brag. I've been playing Major League Baseball, um, the show, and uh, I've I'm, I'm a triple crown winner. And that's that's quite an accomplishment for uh, for, for a poor baseball player like myself. Uh, I've been doing very, very well for the Tampa Rays. 
and um, I'm, I'm looking forward to another World Series, or hopefully getting traded to a better team. Uh, so, <laughs> no, that's I mean, my virtual I, I professional mean, baseball for the Tampa. No, I mean because everyone like when when everyone like when whenever there's like a career mode for any of these games, I usually don't yeah. do, I usually don't do a, a self insert. I I usually just make the ugliest person imaginable and just imagine <laughs> like this guy being like. I did that with Tiger Woods golf. <laughs> My guy is is hideous and a terrible golfer, uh, and with really bad animations. But my baseball player is doing quite well. I'm I'm actually uh, I'm actually invested in it, which is surprising. 2021 is a terrific year for him. He's going to really clean up. <laughs> the only problem is the announce still can't pronounce his name properly. Uh, they they call me Kip Vandenherk, uh, but <laughs> eventually. Someone will figure out how to get my name properly. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, because you know they, you know they record a lot of names, and you know you get yeah. you got a weird sounding name, dude. You're not gonna oh, record it. <laughs> what do you do? It makes my wife and kid laugh every time. Coming up to the plate, Kip Vandenherk. That, no. that should be an alias, man. That should be your alias yeah. from now on. That'll be my EDM DJ name. I think that'll be uh, that'll be great when I'm spinning. Uh, at a club, uh, I'll uh, I'll be Kip Vandenherk. <laughs> that or big truck driver. I haven't decided. No, I mean it's it's great to see you like you know being busy and and I and I didn't even know you played video games because most voice actors are like yeah I can't I'm terrible at video games <laughs> I I don't play I don't them. Have, I don't have to be good to uh, to under, to appreciate the story and I do think it's important that you know how you fit into it. You know I think you that's that's important. And, um, you know, Chris Edgerly does like weekly Twitch games with on Apex Legends and gets people to play with them and stuff. And like, I think that's that's a great way to engage with folks who have questions about stuff or just want to hang. Um, I mean, I, I love talking about these projects and answering questions and um, and that kind of stuff, especially when, you know, especially if people are like positive. <laughs> But if people aren't, that's fine too. I'm I'm open to have a, to engage and have a conversation about stuff. At the end of the day, it's just opinions. And uh, but I appreciate being able to talk about it with you tonight, man. It was really really great to be on the show. Oh man, we should do this more often. You you were <laughs> you're, you're fun to talk to, man. Oh, thanks, man. You too. I appreciate it. Uh, before we go, um, tell people where to where to where they can find you on social media. Yeah. yeah. So I'm on Twitter at KiffVH, K-I-F-F-V-H. I'm at Instagram at KiffVH as well. And then my website is KiffVH.com. There's, uh, you know, it's through Squarespace, so you can contact me through there. Um, and uh, it's got my demo reels and uh, class information when I'm teaching and that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, man. And then my podcast is called All Over VoiceOver. And uh, so far, we've done 74. Episode 75 is coming up next week. And uh, it's a great opportunity that if you're interested in VO, it's got actors, casting directors, agents. Um, it's talking about, we talk about audiobook. We talk about video games and animation. We talk about commercials. We talk about all kinds of stuff. And, um, you know, and about what it takes to do this kind of work. And if it's something that people are interested in, uh, I made it for you. Um, and, uh, yeah, you'll at least find... You know, many of the many of your favorite voice actors have been willing to be guests on there, and 
Uh, right before COVID, I got to be on VO Buzz Weekly, which was uh, which was great. So if people are interested in learning more about me and my approach with improv and that kind of stuff, um, the VO Buzz Weekly interview was uh, was in March. So it's worth checking out too. All right, thanks, man. This has been Good. a pleasure. <laughs> hey, pleasure's been mine, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, and I got to do a plug for Mafia, the new Mafia game. I got to be a part of that. So that's uh, that's coming out soon. Um, Which one? So, Mafia 1 or 2? Mafia 1. Oh, the, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's going to be beautiful. So, uh, but uh, yeah, look for me screaming and yelling and throwing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. You betcha. Thank you. Have a great one.